As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on week one of the college football season. There's a, just a different a different energy, a different glow as we get ready for some, some college football action. Um, we got a little bit of a, a, a taste of it over the weekend with week zero. And Bruce, I hope you had a better weekend than Scott Frost. Stu, we got a big taste of it. I thought it was a very fun Saturday. Obviously not a fun Saturday if you're a Nebraska fan, Stu. Um, how shocked, if at all, were you that Brett Bielema's Illinois team, the home team, ended up beating Nebraska? I mean, I did pick uh, Illinois, I mean Nebraska, but it's hard to be shocked at this point when when you watch Nebraska and they just do the same thing, I mean, Scott Frost himself says the same movie. As soon as they started playing, it was you're, you. It was clear this is going to be no different than previous Nebraska Scott Frost teams. We had our customary uh, Adrian Martinez fumble. We had our customary snap snap over his shoulder or whatever. Yeah, like. we had the, the the punt returner who tried to um, throw a forward pass and got a safety. Well, it's also the punt returner basically taking, fielding the punt into the end zone, basically. Like, it's the biggest no-no. Like, yep. don't back up to the goal line. It was, it was, it was more of the same. And, uh, and the fact is that once uh, Brandon Peters, the Illinois quarterback, got hurt and Art Satowski came in, the guy who, you know, Rutgers transfer who had just an absolute nightmare freshman season there and eventually lost his job, to a Nebraska transfer, um, I thought, okay, well, Illinois is not going to score again. I was so wrong. They drove down the second. They opened the second half with two uh, long touchdown drives. So it, it, it's always dangerous to overreact to week zero in this case or week one. We've seen plenty of teams come out lay an egg in the first game and go on to have a good season, and vice versa. The thing is, though, with Nebraska, it, it, it's not. We didn't see something new and shocking. We saw all the same mistakes, and I don't, 
I don't come out of it feeling like, well, if they just correct this, they could still have a good season. I still don't see, you know. I what did you pick? What did you? I'm sorry. What did you pick them to to finish? What was your projected record for them this year? Six, six and six, six. which uh, now seems a little optimistic. Uh, yeah, it seems you. very optimistic. Let's go through this for a second, just because, like, again, I didn't. I, I thought Illinois was probably a little better than people were giving them credit. I had, you know, like I said, we talked about this before. We did their bowl game a couple years ago. Lovey Smith thought they were going to be much better last year, and then the pandemic hit. Uh, but you look at it now; they play Fordham coming up this weekend. That's FCS Fordham, and then Buffalo. And it's not like Buffalo. Buffalo's been was good under Lance Leipold the last couple of years, but those are two. They better home not games. lose to Buffalo. They better not lose either game. So let's say they're two and one at that point. Then they got to go to Oklahoma, and then all of a sudden it's like I don't think they're winning at Oklahoma. So let's say they're two and two. But then you look at the rest of it, and the team that just lost to Illinois. By the way, the team that not only lost to Illinois but was like down three touchdowns at one point um, at Michigan State. Home Northwestern, home Michigan, at Minnesota, home Purdue, and then they finish with Ohio State, at Wisconsin, and against Iowa. I mean, six and six. I mean, looking at this schedule, Stu, it might be really hard for them to win more than four games. Yeah, well, I would be very surprised if they get to six and six, but... um... But it's not like it's hard to say that without yet knowing what some of these other Big Ten teams are going to look like. For example, Northwestern. You know, if you're looking at it optimistically, oh yeah, they'll be better than Nebraska. But they lost almost everybody from that team last season, so who knows? So let's all right. So let's. Michigan uh, is a big uh, mystery. You're giving not you, but like just to get to six and six. And again, I'm not taking issue. No, I'm done with six and six. 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 No, now the ceiling is five and seven. To get just to get just to get to five wins, they're probably going to have to beat Northwestern and Michigan, and we assume Purdue. Because then, you think they that, could beat Michigan State in the next? That's the next. I big think they point. could, but that's on the road. Minnesota is on the road. Um, like I don't see them winning at Oklahoma. I don't see them beating Ohio State. I don't see them winning in Madison. It's and not I a don't, question of if they're going to win those games. It's how embarrassing are they going to be. We'll never, I mean, hold off on the embarrassing part. How bad the, might that Oklahoma score be? Yeah, I, I, here's the thing with them. Like, so let's go for a second on the big picture part. Um, if I were to think about this, and I'm sure somebody can find something that probably uh, is as feels as egregious as this, but I, f- after watching this game, I'm like, man, one prediction I got way wrong a couple of years ago was I came away from spending time in, in Lincoln and being around the team, being around the staff, being in the building, convinced that Scott Frost was going to win big there. And I didn't think necessarily he's going to win national titles, but I think they were going to be a Big Ten title contender. And by now. Um, and not only, they're not even close to that. Adrian Martinez, who was very good as a true freshman, has struggled. I mean... Like some of the stuff is definitely not on him. Like once, if not more than once a game, it feels like a snap goes over his shoulder or something. I don't think they have specific, like they do not have uh, top speed. end or even they close don't have any to speed. it. No, he is their speed. I mean, he busted a seventy-five yard touchdown run. That he is their he is basically their only big play guy. Um, Marquis Step, the USC transfer running back, had one big play. Uh, but they didn't think highly enough of him to even have him be the starting running back. So, 
My my thing with Scott Frost is, uh, I think he picked the wrong job. I, I understand why he wanted to to be the home, come back and save his alma mater, but I mean that whole season we knew he was going to have a choice at the end of the year, if you remember, between Florida, who fired McIlwain in the middle of the season. I don't remember the timing on Mike Riley, but we knew that job was going to come open. I thought he was going to pick Florida. And the reason I thought he was going to pick Florida is because the reason he had success at UCF, the reason he had success at Oregon, frankly, is the ability to recruit these great athletes to be your playmakers. And, I mean, Mackenzie Milton was a great quarterback. That was that was, that started with him. But UCF's offense was so fast. And we know it's hard to recruit those kind of guys to Nebraska. He has recruited some of those guys, and unfortunately, they've transferred. Like, Wanda Robinson tran- could be a great playmaker. They've for either Kentucky. transferred or Maurice Washington, who he recruited in, who showed some flashes, also had big off-field issues yep. and is no longer in the program. So if you have he and Wandell Robinson, you have two two playmakers then – then I think it might be a different equation. What what I I thought about you know some is the first year when they had when they showed definite some flashes and Martinez looked really good. Uh, Martinez had Stanley Morgan, who was one of the better receivers in the Big Ten, if not you know in the country, and he'd been really good. And they had J.D. Spielman, who would who was a really good player. They had two legit like. Scott Frost can talk about his receiving core being deeper and better than it's been. Um, I don't think it's it's it wasn't better than what it was when they first got there. And I think for a variety of reasons, it has not worked. Now, the question, though, is what you're saying. Now, is Florida have a much more upside job than Nebraska? You'd absolutely think so. I mean, look where it's been. Look at what the recruiting base is. The question, though, is, and I remember having this conversation with Scott Frost in his office back, I'm trying to think if it was 2017 or 2018. I guess it's 2018. Um, he is basically looking looked at Wisconsin and said, look, they're not getting, quote, unquote, top five recruiting classes they are you you basically have to do what they do because it's not like they have this very fertile recruiting area they're in they have a distinct blueprint for what they're doing they have an identity this is the formula he talked ad nauseum about how nebraska had gotten away from its formula before and he was bringing it back and that's how it had lost its way mm-hmm. and it has not worked. I mean, it's just, it is not working. Now, look, I'm not saying, it's not like he got fired. So, you know, it, right now, I think it's hard to look at it after the way they started the season and go, okay, I think this is going to turn. I just, you know, again, he's not been fired. We'll see if there is, you know, they could go on and pull off some upsets and get some momentum and, who, you know, who knows? Maybe they do get to seven or eight wins. I but. actually do think they have some talent on defense. They, The pass rush, obviously, in the first half was there. I think they had three sacks in the first half. But then in the second half, Illinois came out and just ran the ball down their throat. Um, so you know what I, I think is, is one of the things that's at play, and you can see the frustration in Scott Frost especially, was what you're talking about in the second half where when things start to go back, sour and this is something that like I, you know I spent a bunch of time around Alex Grinch when he first got to Oklahoma the defensive coordinator there and one of the biggest battles they faced and he faced was 
when things start to go a little bad, all of a sudden it's like Murphy's Law sets into the mind of you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds and mistakes get compounded. What I saw from Nebraska is a team that had a hard time getting out of its own way. You know, Adrian misses an open receiver. You know, that's got to be a touchdown. Look, a bunch of quarterbacks can miss, you know, open receivers. It happens. But it's like, then it's, you know, again, the botch snap. There's a missed assignment. There's, you know, now all of a sudden it's like guys are are just, their, their eyes are in the wrong place. Their heads are in the wrong place. You know, when he's talking about, we've seen this movie before, I think the players are seeing it in real time. And I think that only makes it harder. They're in their own heads, it seems like. For him to come out and say that was pretty uh, was pretty telling because uh, that's basically what all the fans think too. Same movie, so um, he's hitched his wagon to Adrian Martinez. You know, usually if a quarterback hasn't progressed at all, at some point he would have been beaten out. He was briefly beaten out by Luke McCaffrey last year. Then Luke McCaffrey had that awful game, and it went right back to Martinez, and now he's gone. So. I don't, I don't see a lot of great answers there. Um, Can I read something to you? Yeah. Okay, here we go. And this is, this is where I think the conversation should go forward. This is from the, the story I did a couple of years ago when he first got there. Frost's best argument sits almost 500 miles northeast of Lincoln, where defending Big Ten West champ Wisconsin has five top 10 finishes in the past 12 years and enters the season as a legit playoff contender. The Badgers rise, led by Tom Osborne, disciple Barry Alvarez, uh, has mirrored the Huskers' decline. And then it goes into a little bit. The, the Badgers built themselves into relevance without a single recruiting class ranked better than number 30 in the past 17 years. Those rankings are according to 247. And then Frost kind of goes into detail about what Barry Alvarez did. Um, question is, like, why do you think it's... Why do you think... The model works in 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 Madison, Wisconsin, and they cannot turn it or can't seem to turn it in Lincoln with Scott. Well, the Frost. model in in Wisconsin has been in place for thirty years. So, and and to their credit, they have hired one good coach after another. Maybe with the brief exception of Gary Anderson, but um, it's it's consistent from year to year over a long period. Nebraska has gone through two decades of. Let's try Bill Callahan and his West Coast offense. Oh, well, no, yeah, I, I know, but I'm just talking about. Let's just talk about from Scott Frost getting there. Oh. Never mind. I'm just saying, why has Scott Frost been? You know, he talked a lot about Wisconsin and what they were able to do, how it worked, how it could work. He's, you know, the, I think the hardest thing, and just even what you started to touch on there is, they just cannot turn the corner. Wisconsin has a clear identity, and they recruit to it, and it works. What's Scott from Nebraska? What's his identity? You know, I thought it he's was trying be, to bring what it what it was. It's to not that. working, <laughs> and part of that may be what we talked about earlier with some 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 high profile misses in recruiting or guys that have since transferred, which in itself speaks to there's something going on with the culture there that these guys want to go play elsewhere. Even it's like Wondell Robinson wasn't some backup looking for playing time; he's their star player and decided he'd be better off at Kentucky, uh, and then. Who, by the way, had been awful on offense for the last few years. Right. And then again, when you see the same uh, penalties and, mis- and and just self-inflicted wounds, that speaks to bad coaching. It reminds me of USC. No matter how many times Clay Helton turns over that staff, they still are the most penalized team in the country every year, or one of the most penalized teams in the country. 
it just speaks to bad coaching from the top. So um, he was already on the hot seat. This makes it worse. Uh, real quick, does it change your opinion of Illinois at all and what they might be? I mean, I picked them to go three and nine. So no, it, do- it doesn't change mine because I think I was higher on them than you were. Like I thought they were like kind of a six and six kind of team. That's kind of still what I think they are. Um, you know, look, I think Brett Bielema was a terrific hire for them. I think this is a good start for him. He did not inherit a, a bare cupboard because he has a bunch of guys who have played a lot. You know, so many super seniors. I was um, pleasantly surprised at how well Art Sikowski played in the second half. But, like, he was a guy who had a lot of talent. People were excited about him coming out of high school. It's not like he doesn't have ability. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't change my opinion. I just think it was like, hey, it's it's a good start for Illinois. But, I, to me, I thought this was so much of a Nebraska thing. I mean, to spin it entirely forward, I mean, are you... I don't want to say, are you done with Scott Frost at Nebraska? But, like, are you done with Scott Frost at Nebraska? I feel like I was kind of done with him already. Like, I just, when I picked him to go six and six, I didn't. That, that, like, once the NCAA investigation hit, no, go back. Once, once Bill Moose was fired, Bill Moose was his biggest fan. Bill Moose is the one who gave him this outrageous contract extension. Once he was fired, and then you get the NCAA investigation on top of it, you knew he'd have to have a pretty fantastic season this year to save his job. And I didn't see how that was going to be possible. Six and six was not going to save his job. Can I give you a quick nugget about um, Art Siskowski that's going to blow your mind? Sure. So doesn't it feel like he's been in college football in the Big Ten forever? Um, I think a lot of people feel that way because of we're in a pandemic. And Somehow he has, well, I know why, because of the free year. He has three seasons of eligibility remaining. He could go on to be Illinois starting quarterback for three years. I don't. After I, I feel sort like of being Rutgers to, starting quarterback for three years. I feel like we need to re, kind of readjust this process because, yeah. like, it felt like a lot. Of, like Brady White felt like he was in college forever. Like, there's just you have a lot of guys who you either heard of in the recruiting process, played as true freshmen, bounced around, resurfaced. So I, I feel like it's we're not in the same kind of. Uh, mode that we were in back in 2005. Well, we have the extra COVID year. No, but I also think we're just used to guys bouncing around now, resurfacing and playing five years. Because some of these, like, it's not like Art Zitkowski is a six-year senior either. He's a fourth-year, I guess he's a fourth-year sophomore. Yeah, yeah, he's listed as a sophomore. Like, I remember, my first recollection of him was... um, being in Baton Rouge and when Matt Canada had just got to LSU as the offense coordinator, there were two quarterback prospects he was very intrigued by. Sitkowski and Phil Jerkovic, who ended up uh, now is it on his second school. So, And that feels like a long time ago because obviously Matt Canada has been in the NFL for a little bit now. All right, so after the, well, I guess they kind of, there was an overlap. UCLA-Hawaii. You have been telling us for months this is going to be the big breakthrough year for the Bruins, Chip Kelly. Well, with the caveat that they were playing Hawaii, they looked pretty darn good. They did. Now, Hawaii looked awful. They did not look prepared for this game. They were bad on special teams, all sorts of mistakes. The part that I think is something that bears watching with UCLA is they could have a really nasty run game. Their offensive line has a lot of experience, a lot of guys who played. They have really good tight ends, and they do a lot of they do and they will do a lot of funky stuff formationally with those tight ends. Um, and you have two running backs who are one guy is a sledgehammer, 
Britton Brown, the other guy's even bigger, Zach Charbonnet, with really good feet, and you saw those guys go off in the first half. The part that I think is going to be really fun to see with UCLA is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who definitely has talent, he was not on. He was, like, pumped up. He was overshooting some throws. Now, he didn't turn it over, but if if he gets – he's streaky. If he gets on – this offense gets to be a lot more dangerous because they really didn't really show much in the pass game either. And remember, they have Greg Dulcich is as dangerous a tight end as there is in the country. So they have an intriguing mix. Uh, I'm excited because I have, I have, um, I have them this weekend against LSU in the Rose Bowl. Um, should be a really fun atmosphere. Uh, they're going to play an LSU team that people don't have a great read on. And it's going to be fascinating to see because you have two essentially first-time play callers at UCLA. And, oh, by the way, um, bigger issues because they they evacuated to Houston. And you have some families who are still, you know, they have families back in Baton Rouge. So it's going to be a a challenging week for them on that front. So... um, I think UCLA, and I, I've made this point in our preseason predictions, I think UCLA is going to be a top 25 team. I don't know if they are good enough on both sides of the ball to be a to win the Pac-12, but I definitely could see them winning the Pac-12 South. Zach Charbonnet looked bigger and stronger than I remembered him at Michigan, and I frankly don't remember ha- him having a lot of moments like he had the other day at Michigan, though. I look back now. He was good as a freshman, though. We averaged, that's when he he had 149 attempts as a freshman. He averaged 4.9 yards per carry. But he did have, uh, amongst others, a a decent game against Alabama in the bowl game that year. Last year, he only had 19 carries. So it's not a secret why he would transfer. But that's a, that turned out to be a big pickup for UCLA. And then, you know, UCLA looks like they've got some playmakers on defense as well. So the LSU game, um, I felt pretty confident LSU will win. I, I don't know by how much, but obviously, like you said, we've got some awful circumstances, frankly. I hate that this keeps happening to New Orleans in particular. You and I both have spent so much time there for bowl games and national championship games. I was actually watching the Weather Channel yesterday, and the reporter who, you know, wind is blowing and a trash can is blowing down the street on Canal Street, he was reporting from right outside the uh, Sheraton that was the media hotel for the LSU-Clemson National Championship game. Um, there's been there's been an assumption all offseason that, you know, like the, the crowd shots of that UCLA-Hawaii game, there, there was nobody there. Uh, but the expectation has been that a, a whole caravan of LSU fans is going to come and fill up the Rose Bowl this week. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, is that going to be possible? Are flights going to be going out of Louisiana anytime soon? Out of those, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I mean, more important things than whether people can get to the to the UCLA game. I just hope everybody's all right. But certainly that that is affecting that game. It's also affecting Tulane was going to host Oklahoma this weekend. A rare rare moment, right, for that program or, or frankly any program of that level to be hosting a team like Oklahoma. That's now. I mean, reportedly it's moving to to Norman, but that isn't official yet. So um, I feel like every college football season, a hurricane or more more than one hurricane affects early season. Um, this one's particularly bad. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. On Saturday morning... Um, you know, we've got all these QB announcements coming out, and one we've been looking, waiting for for a while. Texas comes down. Hudson Card uh, wins the job, which maybe on the outside seems surprising. I guess not on the inside. You've done a lot of reporting on that. Uh, they're playing one of the better games this week against Louisiana. What should we expect from the guy who was good enough to beat out Casey Thompson, who had that huge bowl performance against Colorado? Yeah, and Stu, if you talk to coaches inside the UT program, they're not at all surprised it played out this way. Uh, The people I've talked to there have been really gushing about Hudson Card's skill set. They said he is extremely accurate. He's a really, really good athlete. And they say he reminds them in a lot of ways in in his game of Aaron Rodgers. They feel like he is going to be really special um, in the not-too-distant future, you couple that with Bajan Robinson, their their outstanding running back. They feel like they have some really key building pieces. And as somebody put it to me uh, on Saturday morning, so basically he is our future, but they said he really is our present too. And it's going to be interesting because Steve Sarkeesian has a terrific track record with quarterbacks. We saw what he did at Alabama uh, with Mac Jones. This guy is a different kind of uh athlete but um you know two quarterbacks that i'm fascinated to see and we have not seen them in person play but they're both going to be key figures for different reasons and they're both in the same quarterback class hudson card was ranked a little higher by the recruiting analysts than haynes king the texas a&m quarterback both guys are really dynamic athletes very talented and I think we're going to hear a lot about them starting this weekend. And like you said, Louisiana is a really good team. Patrick Tony has a really good defense there. They have everybody back. Um, this is a fascinating matchup in week one. And we'll see if uh, 
if Hudson Card's ready to hit the ground running. Steve Sarkeesian apparently thinks he will. You wrote a pretty interesting story, uh, first of all, back in the offseason, talking to guys who were on the previous staff about what exactly does Steve Sarkeesian have to work with there. And then you wrote a story on Sunday, uh, Saturday about kind of what went into this decision, which gives me a natural opportunity to tell people that uh, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic already, this is your time. We have a 50% off promo going right now. If you go to theathletic.com slash theaudible, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $2.99 a month. Uh, that is an insane value. If you go just on the college football section alone, you're getting way more than your $2.99 a month's worth, and that's just college football. Obviously, we have every sport covered at The Athletic with lots of great experts. So I would uh, hop on theathletic.com slash theaudible and take advantage of that. Another notable quarterback decision announced on Monday, Joe Milton, another Michigan transfer, uh, won the Tennessee job. A little bit of a surprise just because he got there later uh, than Hendon Hooker, who was a former starter at Virginia Tech, who, who uh, Jeremy Pruitt brought in. Milton didn't show up until the spring. Uh, you know, Milton last year had that great debut against Minnesota and then just seemed to regress week after week after week. So I'm, I'm very, I'm curious to, while I don't have very high expectations for Tennessee, they're playing Bowling Green on Thursday night. Um, the one thing we do know about Josh Heupel is he usually has his quarterbacks ready to go. They usually put up big stats. We'll see if, uh, this can be a, a little bit of a comeback story for Joe Milton. He definitely has a huge arm. He's athletic. Um, yeah, I think he keep. I, you know, he wasn't very accurate last year, and I think ultimately that was a big part of his undoing. I mean, for his big arm, they struggle to make a lot of plays downfield. We'll see what he can do. You know, it's weird. You watch Tennessee is not Tennessee's had some good players there over the last few years. You see what they do in the NFL, um, and it just hasn't worked in Knoxville. We'll see if Josh Heupel can. You know, he's always been known when he was at UCF as having really prolific offenses. Now he's got a much steeper hill to climb, but you're right. I want to keep an eye on it. One uh, one other thing from Saturday, Stu, that jumped out and jumped out at me, but I watched and I was like, this is a team I think we should keep more of an eye on from the group of five level. It's Fresno State. I know UConn is not a good in a good place right now. They've been really bad, and it was their first game in like two years. Fresno State's going to have a really good offense. I said that the other day. Um, you ready to get on the bandwagon with me for the Bulldogs? I mean, I feel like they never left. They had such success under Jeff Tedford. I don't make read much into a COVID anything anybody in COVID last year, so it wouldn't surprise me if they're right back to being a Mountain West contender. But Bruce, they're going to have to deal with the mighty Spartans of San Jose State, who I watched well, just run. It looked like Nick Starkle was like throwing routes on air the way he was picking apart uh, Southern Utah the other night. Well, I th- when you said we're going to have to deal with the mighty, I thought you were talking about who they're playing this weekend. They are playing. That's true. They are playing the Mighty Ducks of Oregon this weekend. Are you saying no, they are legit, legit mighty? Yeah. Are you so, saying you, you're giving Fresno a shot to uh, pull the upset there in Eugene? A shot? Yeah, I actually am giving them a shot. I think they will keep it interesting for a while because. Remember, so much has been talked about about who Oregon's playing next week. They got to go to Ohio State. Tricky spot for the Ducks here because this is a really good team. Jake Hayner played at Washington. 
He can sling the football around. Ronnie Rivers is a, one of the best running backs on the West Coast. They have a couple of receivers who could, one of them did play, Ty Jones play in, in the Pac-12, but they have guys who definitely could play there. And Kalen DeBoer is, I think we're going to find out Kalen DeBoer is one of the best kept secrets in in college football coaching. Um, so tough spot for the Ducks. I think Oregon will win, but I think this game could be a headache for the Ducks for a while. I mean, it's your classic, are they going to look ahead to Ohio State kind of game? Uh they better not, yeah. or else the, the Pac-12 is going to have a is, <laughs> is going to is going to have some remorse from a Mountain West team that that is like they played a game. They, you know, I, I don't know. I think they're going to have a big chip on their shoulder. This is a. By the know, way, poor UConn see. had two years prepared for that game. They, they didn't play last season. They've done nothing but practice for two years for that game, and they still got shut out. Uh, yeah, you also go cross country. It's like a thousand degrees. My buddy Lindsey Rhodes was on the sideline of that game, melting away. So, um, you know, not a not ideal for Randy Edsel. And I also they they did not have a bunch of. They were like their D line room was already really thin to go into that game. It was kind of a recipe for disaster. We're gonna get into a couple of the week one games here in a second, but there's one really strange story from from Sunday that we've got to talk about. Uh, and it's a high school football story, but it's one of these stories that kind of transcends and, and gets the interest going. Uh, anyway, here's what happened. So if you haven't been following this, you know, ESPN shows a lot of high school games, especially early in the season. And on Sunday, they had a game with that. And, and I'm to be clear, I didn't watch this game, so I don't I don't want to claim that I was watching this in real time, but. IMG Academy, the powerhouse in Florida. They're often on these ESPN games, it feels like. And they're playing a school called Bishop Sycamore, which caught my eye because I went to Sycamore High School in Cincinnati from Columbus, Ohio. And I, didn't during, know you, I didn't know you went to a uh, private school that was... I a, didn't. Sycamore High School is a public school. Bishop Sycamore is... I don't even know what to describe. We're not even clear if it Did, is a school. We're right not now. even clear if there was a Bishop Sycamore, according to like the Not ringer. a real person. I know that. <laughs> the ringer is like, there's a Bishop Sankey, but there's a, there's a Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> so it's 58-0 IMG Academy. And as the game is going, even the ESPN commentators, basically it turns out that they got scammed. Uh, there's like a sub company that ma- makes these matchups for ESPN. And somehow they got duped into thinking that Bishop Sycamore has a bunch of D1 prospects on their team. They clearly don't. Um, and making matters even worse, somehow Bishop's, uh, I almost said Bishop Sankey. Bishop Sankey fielded his own team. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop Sycamore played a game on Friday night against a high school in, Pen- in Pittsburgh and then turned around and played this game on Sunday. Which is just insane. And it's, it's fine if it's a basketball school because you can see you can play two basketball games in three days. You can't, I mean, you can't do that. And so here, I'm just going to read you real quick what, what the ESPN guys were saying on the air, which is, you know, the fact that they're willing to kind of blast them on the air uh, was pretty telling. Bishop Sycamore told us they had a number of Division One prospects on the roster, but to be frank, a lot of that we could not verify. They did not show up in our database. They did not show up in the databases of other recruiting services. So, okay, that's what you're telling us. Fine. That's how we take it in. From what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight. And there's got to be a point where you're worried about health and safety, to which Tom Luganbill, the analyst, says, I'm already worried about it. I think this could potentially be dangerous given the circumstances and the mismatch we have here. 
quite honestly, Bishop Sycamore doesn't have not only the frontline players, they don't have the depth in case something were to happen to their roster with a kid or two here throughout the remaining two quarters of this football game. They have 30 players. Many of them play, obviously play both ways. They played two games in three nights. Um, they went 0-6 last year. And if you look up the address of this supposed school, it takes you to an office park somewhere in Columbus. Uh, this is this is is mind numbing that you know, I get it. There's a another company that that makes these matchups for ESPN, but how on earth did this get on their air? And and I guess my question would be if they're that worried about safety, like once they realized that that this was a scam, why did they not shut the game down? Those are very valid questions. I think at what point do you realize, oh crap, this is a potential disaster waiting to happen now? There are a couple of guys. I, I talked to some recruiting coordinators around the country. Like the quarterback who plays for this program, he is he is somebody who could who is a Division One prospect. Now, I think you have a couple of guys who might be twenty years old who are in this who are in this game. Like, who, oh yeah, there's that there's that part of it too. There is there's a bunch of layers to this. Um, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I think there's probably going to be like eight different compelling stories that are going to get written about this over the next week or two. This school is not part of the Ohio High School Association, so there's no oversight. Um, the coach who, uh, who the coach of the team also runs the school. I mean, every couple of years, I feel we hear about like one of these diploma mills, and I don't even know if this is that. Uh, and it's just so infuriating that there are these people who take advantage of high school kids and their parents to, to make a buck and to, and to sell it under the auspices of it's that they're, you know, changing people's lives and, and preparing them for college. No, they are not preparing anybody for college. We saw one of the parents of a player that used to be on the team DMing the ESPN people to say, I want to talk about, you know, how th that thing needs to be shut down. Our son, all these you know, uh, things that happen to them. So I assume that this will continue to be a story and that we will continue to uh, peel the layers away. Um, and I hope, I do hope it gets shut down. I mean, I don't know who has the authority to do that, but you know, these kids are being completely taken advantage of. Uh, there, this reminded me a lot. I, a long time ago, I did a story for ESPN magazine about uh, a school that, sprung up out of nowhere and was it was a basketball it was basically just a basketball school with a basketball team now that program actually had some big time talent but it was just you know one room you know kind of out of nothingness it grew out of mount zion academy which was the school that uh that tracy mcgrady came from and this yep. was around when amari stoudemire was was being there it was just kind of surreal that was a an interesting story to kind of work on. And you would see more of that in the, what at the time was the fringe of, of college basketball recruiting. And then it became a lot more commonplace uh, in, the, in high school basketball circles. And a lot of them, honestly, had sprung up as it relates to TV matchups that ESPN uh, was putting on their air. Now, as it relates to football, I mean, again, this is, like I, I think a lot of people are very intrigued by this story for like all sorts of reasons. And we are at the tip of the iceberg with this, which I imagine is going to see a lot of layers of it coming out in the next week or two. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so back to college. Uh, first of all, I don't. We should mention this sooner. This is the magical time of year, Bruce. Not only is college football back, but the Audible goes back to two episodes a week. And so, because of that, we can. The second one that we'll do later in the week is when we'll do the mailbag. Maybe we'll do some picks. Who knows what kind of fun we'll have? But um, let this week one this year starts even earlier than usual. It starts on Wednesday night. Um, let's talk about a couple of these early games. And I know because you do the freaks list and you talk to everybody, you're going to have some really unique insight to give us on Wednesday nights, big matchup between UAB and Jacksonville state. Uh, I don't got a ton for you, Stu, on UAB Jacksonville state. So I'm not going to lie. Um, do you really, well, I'll say this every year I put bill Clark, the UAB coach in my, top 15 or so of the best coaches in the country. And every year you mock me for it. I don't mock you. I think he's done a really good job. I think it's look, they've d- been really good on defense on that side of the ball, especially They're, they've done a really good job, but um, I don't know. I think, you know, you, you put him above a lot of uh, coaches who are also, I think have done a really good job. So just anyway. a reminder, UAB shut down his football program at the end of the 2014 season. And there was no indication, at least first, that they were ever going to reopen it. Then they announced they were. Bill Clark stayed at UAB, spent two years building a roster back from scratch. They start play again in 2017, thinking they're going to go, I don't know, winless, two and 10, something like that. Nope. Eight and five, second place in their division. The next year, first place in their division and win the conference championship. So the last four years, eight and five, 11 and three nine and five and last year, six and three and won their division. That's not great coaching. I don't know what is. That's really good. That is a terrific job. As I said, I didn't disagree. Um, Jacksonville state quarterback that some of you will remember, uh, Zarek Cooper. Uh, the reason why I kind of am connected to him a little bit is old. feels like forever ago. Zarek Cooper was, uh, remember when I was doing, did this stuff on virtual uh, reality and quarterback coaching, especially Zara Cooper was one of the first quarterbacks in college football who I think really was, was steeped in it because Clemson was one of the first programs. It, it grew out of Stanford and that, um, that business at the time striver, which is still in business. Um, Clemson was one of the first ones to buy in and Zara Cooper, who was redshirting at that point really did it was all in on it. And he ended up, obviously there's been a lot of big time quarterbacks who've come in and out of Clemson. Zara Cooper has been at, at Jacksonville state and he's a guy who's on uh, NFL scouts radar. So he'll, he'll be a, not an easy guy to open up against for UAB, but I imagine your blazers do. I'm taking the blazers. Okay. I don't even know what the spread is, but I'm taking the blazers. Do you own any UAB gear still? Uh, no, but I probably should. I wonder if they've, if Homefield has done a, a UAB uh, set yet. I'll have to check that out. Thursday night, um, I remember when this matchup was an, originally announced a few years ago, and everybody was very excited. Boise State at UCF. 
What we couldn't have known at the time is that both of these programs would have new coaches making their debut, Andy Avalos for Boise State, and of course, Gus Malzahn at UCF. Um, I'm, I'm most curious to see what a Gus Malzahn UCF team looks like. Yeah, you'd hope uh, he's Dylan Gabriel's really good, and yep. he, he can throw it around. Uh, let's see how much Gus lets him throw it around or wants him to throw it around. And and look, Andy Avalos has Hank Bachmeyer. He's a good quarterback. They had a uh, – I don't know. This is a really good game. It's a good game for – the, the tricky part for me, if you're Boise State, is you got to go to Orlando where it's going to be like 1,000 degrees and – you're going to face a team that's fast and I'm sure Gus is going to be running it quick. Um, very interested to see how this one plays out. If you recall UCF a few years ago, went down and beat Florida state. Uh, and that was that was in the day that was, you know, peak Florida humidity, at least this one's 7 PM kickoff. Um, bunch of, bunch of guys have followed um, Gus from Auburn to UCF, including big cat Bryant, who was, know he was a legit pretty good uh defensive lineman for auburn in the sec so interested to see that the main event i think you would agree ohio state at minnesota 8 p.m on fox i believe your friends at the big noon kickoff are headed to that one they will be they are going to be in the midwest uh, i will be back in la for the studio but they will be uh they will be there for that that is a big game obviously Minnesota had a really good 2019 and a really suspect 2020. They feel like I've talked to some of the staff there. They feel like they've gotten a lot better uh, in their run game on defense. They feel like they're much better on the D line and in the front seven, it's going to be a challenge because Ohio state has three really good running backs, great receivers and a really big offensive line. So I think everybody's, everybody is, got high expectations for CJ Stroud. What I want to ask you, Stu, though, is uh, we both, I think, have Ohio State. I assume you do, too, as a playoff team. I do. Okay. Um, last year, they were not good on defense, by certainly by Ohio State centers. They lost a bunch of linebackers who played a lot of football. Uh, how much confidence do you have in Ohio State having a defense the caliber that can win a national title? Uh, not, not much. Um, I'll be honest. I originally thought I would leave Ohio state out of my playoff projections or playoff predictions just because of exactly what you just said. Um, also a little bit of uncertainty at running back, although it's starting to seem like that they'll be fine just because they have three or four guys they can count on. I just don't know that anybody in the big 10 can, you know, maybe if Oregon wins at Ohio state, then they would possibly lose another game somewhere in the big 10 and, and be 11 and two. But I just don't see anybody that that's really on their level this season. It's not like a couple years ago where Penn state was a legit threat um, or Michigan before that. So I just kind of think they will do their usual 12 and one by default, but there's no question that their past defense was, was actually pretty bad uh, last season. And granted it wasn't, I mean, it's more like a half season. So you just, you know, the talents there. Uh, in fact, the secondary is usually the one position you can count. They always have cornerbacks. I know seven banks is getting hyped up a little bit. Um, so I, I expect they'll be better. How much better? I'm not sure. Um, Minnesota, if Minnesota is going to win this game, it's going to be from the running game, you would think. 
Yeah, big offensive line. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is a really good running back. Uh, there's a bunch of really good running backs in this game. What we need to see is Tanner Morgan was really good. Most improved quarterback maybe in the country, not named Joe Burrow in 2019. And now they don't have those receivers that they used to have, Tyler Johnson and uh, and Bateman. But I don't know. Like... Um, Pressure, I think, an interesting spot for Mike Sanford Jr. That's the offensive coordinator. Kirk Scirocco did a really good job as the OC at Minnesota. Um, I know you're pretty high on Minnesota. You had them as an eight or nine win team, right? Have them as yeah. Well. I have them going eight and four. I do think their defense will be better. It was really uh, bad last year. It's got. I it. think they Tanner think Morgan had some extenuating circumstances last year. His dad was battling cancer. He has unfortunately since succumbed to cancer. Uh, that maybe contributed to him having a rough season. But I was just looking this back up. Do you remember a few years ago, Ohio State op- It was kind of similar. Ohio State opened on a Thursday night at Indiana. Um, I do remember that. I remembered it being closer than it was. Basically, Indiana led. It was very close. Mm, it was very <laughs> for close. For a while. For three quarters, yeah. Indiana led 21-20 with 4.56 left in the third quarter. So yeah, That's very that's- close. Yeah. At that time, it was a scare, but Ohio State ended up winning 49-21. And this game is notable because it was J.K. Dobbins' first game at Ohio State as a true freshman, and he ran for 181 yards. So, sign of things to come. Unfortunately, he suffered his uh, season-ending injury. Uh, he's now with the Ravens and suffered a season-ending injury in the last preseason. Do you think Travion Henderson has a J.K. Dobbins-like breakout? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure because I'm not sure yet what the uh, distribution of carries is going to be there. I, I think you no. Know, the difference is that was JT Barrett back for his, I believe that was his senior year. It you know, would not surprise be- me if that happened. He could. I wouldn't be surprised if he did like a nine carry, 161 yard game. Okay. So I'll, I'll I believe it, but I also feel like it, don't you think there's a better chance that that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And Marvin Harrison Jr. and so on are going to shred their secondary. I think both could happen. <laughs> so, in other words, we just—I think it could be like a forty-five. I think I think it could be a forty-five twenty-four kind of game. Yeah, that that would make sense. Which reminds me, I got to do my week my picks against the spread in a couple of days for the first time of the twenty twenty-one season. Uh, we'll save the big, the huge, the game of the week in college football, Michigan State Northwestern on Friday night for next time. Um, and again, we'll do your questions in the next episode. That's the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.